everyone, we're going to get started if you guys want to stand with us today. We're just going to take a minute and we're just going to sit here and we are going to just reflect on our week. Reflect over the past few days. Take a moment to just gather our thoughts, to gather the good and the bad. To really just reflect so that we can prepare ourselves and prepare our hearts so that we can give what we have to the Lord so that we can sit it at his feet today. I encourage you guys just to sit here in the, the quiet and just to really think about the things that you are expecting It could be what you are expecting from God. It could be, it could be anything. It could be the expectancy that we have for him to show up. It could be the expectancy that we have for him to heal. It could be the expectancy that we have for him to give us joy, to take away mourning. want you guys to think about it to grasp what you what has come to your heart what has come to your attention and I want you just to offer it to him today and during worship just continue to think about the things that you want to offer to him that we want to sit down at his feet that we don't want to hold on to anymore to take the expectancies that we have of him and to just give it to him. So we ask Holy Spirit that you come and fill this place.
it's no greater call than giving you my all. I lay it all down. I lay it all down. There is no greater love, no higher name above. I lay it all down. I lay it all down. There is no greater call. And you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. Take this life and breathe on. This heart that is not yours. We're going to sing that again. You can have it all. This heart that is now yours And oh the joy
God in this place. 
God, we thank you that we can come before you today. We thank you that we get to gather and worship God. We thank you for what you provide for us, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we can have this expectancy of you, God. We thank you for showing up. Holy Spirit, we thank you for showing up. We thank you that you're good. And we thank you that you love us. We love you so much. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Hey, can we give him a hand, huh? Man. Thank you, Lord. All right, hey, stay standing with me. Can we take a couple of minutes, say hi to somebody next to you? Uh, kids K through fifth, you are released. You can go with your teachers to the back. make your way back to your seat. We're going to get started with some announcements. I love that you love talking to one another so much, but I do have some announcements to share with you. Uh, the first one is, is when you walked in, you've probably seen on every other chair, you've probably seen one of these little yellow connect cards has a little QR code on it. So there's two options. One, you can fill it out. Or two, you can scan that, that QR code with your phone and it'll bring you to the website and give you our digital contact card. So, uh, and the reason why we do this is strictly just for getting to know you. We believe so much that the church is built on community and connection with one another. And so you fill one of these out, I'll contact you, take you to coffee, take you to lunch, something like that. Hear your story, get to know you, all that good stuff. So fill one out or scan it with your phone. It'll take you right to the website. Uh, the next thing is, is we are doing a church fast. We're starting a two-week church fast from the 17th through the 31st of January. So make sure you put that on your calendar, on your radar that we're doing that. And the reason why we're doing that, it's not just out of tradition that every year we want to do a church fast. But we really want to uh, expect big things and prepare our heart and sort of set ourselves aside for the Lord and say, God, would you use me? Would you use us? Would you do something? Would you work and move in this community and in this valley? That's the whole reason why we're fasting. It's not that we uh, break away and go up on some mountain and we're all extra spiritual and all that stuff, but it's for the sake of others and for what God would do in our lives and in our hearts. So that's the 17th through the 31st. And some real quick tips, church fast, how to 101, okay? For centuries, fasting has, has been considered, has been 
um, centered around food or the abstinence of food, taking food out of your diet, and it has been just water uh, or, or nothing at all, like Jesus in the wilderness. But you can, do, so you can do that, or you can, there's the Daniel fast that you can do, which you can read the book of Daniel and what that's about. And, uh, or there's, uh, we would even say, you can even like fast from social media, you know? The whole idea, so we don't want to get too restrict or anything like that, right? What we want to do is uh, pray and evaluate in your life, man, what am I more connected to right now than I am to the Lord, right? And so for some of us, maybe it is social media. You're like, you know what? I'm going to take two weeks off of social media, and rather than being on social media, I'm going to pray. Or rather than being on social media, I'm going to read my, I'm going to read my Bible, right? So that might be what your two-week fast looks like. So whatever that is for you, pray about it. Seek the Lord on it. That's why we wanted to start it on the 17th, so it gives you some time to sort of process that out and what it looks like. So make sure you put that on your calendar. And the next thing is, is there is a women's conference coming up. Uh, it's not a vineyard thing. It's not a mustard seed church thing. But we always like to try to get connected with other churches in the community. And we also want to uh, be able to have our church family go to things that would be pretty helpful. So uh, there is a women's conference at the, the Clifton Christian Church is hosting. And it's going to be Stacy Eldridge coming in as the keynote speaker. So if you know John Eldridge and Stacy Eldridge and all the books that they write, they're pretty powerful followers of Jesus. And so she's going to be coming in and speaking. So as you leave, uh, you can check by the tithe box. There's going to be some of these there available. Feel free to grab one of those. Uh, again, one of those QR codes on it. Feel free to fill it out and check it out. So, and last but not least, uh, we are starting our mustard seed communities. And so those are going to be launching in February. And again, uh, again, our mustard seed communities, they are centered around community with one another. It's centered around doing life with one another, right? What we don't want to do is just have everybody come to church for an hour. We say hi and then poof, you know, and everybody's off doing life. We, we want to actually do life together and be a community together. So what and we, we we feel it's a practice of Jesus, something that he did. He had community in his life. And so. Last fall, how that looked for us is we had, we had community groups in Junction. We had community groups here in Palisade. They would get together once a week. They would hang out. Uh, they would go through the previous sermon series. They would take communion together, pray for one another, play games. You got to play games. And, uh, and it was, I mean, ours was just a blast. And we loved ours. And that's been the feedback from a lot of them as well. So make sure to put that on your calendar. The Mustard Seed community is coming up. Gosh, we would love for everybody to get plugged in. As we're on this journey of practicing what Jesus did and doing what he did, one of those is practicing community. So we'd love everybody to get plugged in and get connected. Okay, I believe that's it. Oh, last but not least. You know I always do this. I always have a last but not least, but then it's not the last but not least, right? Uh, so uh, a quick update. So we did the diaper drive and we had some more diapers come in with the pregnancy center. So there was over 4,000 diapers that were given to the pregnancy center from the Mustard Seed Church, right? And uh, so I went over there and visited with them, toured the facility. They wanted to take a picture with me in front of the diapers and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, we can do it, you know. Uh, but one of the things I thought that was pretty cool, they said that they received so many diapers from us that they extended the double down diaper through the month of January. 
because they were given so much that their stockpile was up so high that they had space to stockpile and do double diapers as well. So I thought that was cool. Not only did they do double diapers for December, but they ended up doing it for January as well. So anyway, quick, you know, sort of praise report on that. Alrighty, so uh, gosh, I want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us today. I always love it when Sunday comes around and we get together, get together, get to get together as a church family. And uh, my name's Wayne, and I'm the pastor here at the Mustard Seed Church. And uh, man, if we we say that we say this all the time, this is our language, this is our culture. But if you're new here, gosh, we just want to say welcome, and f- please feel no pressure. Uh, you know, with filling out the contact card or anything like that. Uh, feel no pressure. We are just so glad you're here. We always say that this is a place where you can belong before you believe. And the reason why we say that is because you don't have to come in and like say the right things and dress the right way and, you know, act a certain way. There, there's nothing, there's no preconceived thing you have to do before you, before you walk in here. We love you and we welcome you just as you are. And we believe that Jesus loves you so much not to leave you there. That change and transformation happens in your life. And so uh, if you're new here, we want to say welcome and feel no pressure. As we get started, would you stand with me? We're going to read God's word before we get started today. We're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. We'll have it up on the screen. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, as we read your word, would you speak to us through it? Your word that is an everlasting word, would you speak to us? 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true and him, in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness... And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father but is passing from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You can be seated. 
There was a study that I read the other day in 2012 that was published on Psychology Today. And the title of it was, Why Being Lied To Hurts Us So Much. Why Being Lied To Hurts Us So Much. And essentially what they talk about in the, in the, uh, in the article is that having connection with people and being close with people and being lied to really strikes at the core of who we are in terms of trust and in terms of connection and in terms of the relationship and how that relationship is then fractured. And they go on to say that all of us have experienced this. Would, you, would we agree? All of us have probably experienced being lied to at some point in time. And uh, this has become more and more frequent in our culture. Uh, Michael Dobbs, in his journal, The Rise of Political Fact-Checking, says this. He tells his story of dishonesty in Washington and tells how when he came on board with the Washington Post in 2007 and 2008, he was the very first fact-checker, right? Isn't that crazy? And now today when we look at it, now we have people who fact check the fact checkers. You get what I'm saying? It's like this uh, extra security blanket to make sure that what we get is truth. We all hate being lied to. And uh, I wonder this morning, what about you? Like what, have, what has your experience been in regards to somebody being dishonest toward you? Maybe it's a friend a spouse, a family member, a boss. When you think about it and reflect on it, man, it's the worst. Being lied to. I remember for myself, somebody told me when I first started playing, picking up golf, they said, man, if you just practice golf and you go to the driving range, you will become better. Guaranteed. Somebody lied to me. Because here I am like 10 years later and I'm still the same. You get what I'm saying? But being lied to, being deceived is the worst. And we've all experienced it. And this is probably one of the few things that all of us in humanity would agree on. There's not very, very, very few. There's not very many things that humanity would agree on. But this is probably one of them. That being deceived hurts so much. And yet, we have enemies of our soul that lie to us every day. We have enemies of our soul that lie to us every day. And the enemies of our soul are what the New Testament writers would call the world, the flesh, and the devil. You ever heard that before? The world, the flesh, and the devil. This week and the next two weeks, we're going to look at each one of these and how uh, these enemies of our souls try to deceive us, the effect that it can have on us, and what steps we can do to sort of have this spiritual warfare in our life against these enemies of our soul. And I thought this was just perfect timing for us to go through this little short three-week sermon series because we are spending time fasting and praying and saying, God, would you move in Palisade? Would you move in Grand Junction? Would you move in Fruita? And we'll even say Loma, right? Let's go all the way to Loma. We're not going this way. We're not going to Delta, right? We're just going to go. No, I'm just messing. I always pick on Delta. I don't know why. <laughs> 
But that's where we are, we are fasting and praying and say, God, would you move? Would you use us? And can I tell you that when you do that, it is spiritual warfare. And you will have enemies of your soul. And what we see in the scriptures is that these three enemies of our souls try to deceive and lie and get us off track and all of this other stuff. So for this week and the next week, we're going to be looking at it. The first enemy of the soul that we see that we're going to address is the world. When it comes to the world, um, there's this real love me, love me not sort of tension that we have to navigate. You ever pick the flowers? He loves me. He loves me not. She loved, right? There's this real tension when it comes to the world of this love me, love me not that we have to navigate. So the first thing that we want to highlight is the love me not. That they, that they address in here in the scriptures. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. And we've read it. He says do not love the world or the things in the world. Love me not. Right? If anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh. Remember these right here. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Is not from the father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This theme of the world is found all throughout the New Testament. And it begins with the life of Jesus. We, just a couple of scriptures for you we want to throw up on the screen. John 17. Uh, he says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is Jesus talking about his followers, his disciples. Mark chapter 4, verse 18, it says, And others, the ones sown among thorns, this is the parable about the seed Sown on the ground, and some are sown on the ground, and some are sown on rocks, and some are sown on thorns, and then some are sown on good soil. He says, and others are sown among thorns, and those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And the last one is Mark chapter 8. And this is just a highlight. This is Jesus' language, right? We're not pulling this world idea out of nowhere. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So we can see this, this world language begins with Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, this world language in the New Testament has three different meanings. So one world could be creation. When God says that he, the, the earth was void and he said that he created the heavens and the earth in the beginning in Genesis. That is the world. The world in terms of its created form. The second one is humanity. In the Gospel of John, the most famously quoted Google scripture ever, John 3.16, it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's referencing humanity, people. God loves people. And then the third one, which is the definition that we have on the screen for you here in a minute. 
No, we don't have it. Okay, backtrack. False alarm. It says that the world is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are in rebellion against God. We did have it. Thank you, Lord. The world is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are in the mainstream in rebellion against God. Dallas Willard says this. He says that uh, the world is our culture and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Dr. Gary Brashear, who is a brilliant man, says this. He says, the world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, though his deception makes it hard to realize. If you are of the world, then it all seems right. This is what we're talking about this morning, about the world. Values and morals and practices and social norms that are in opposition towards God. To give you a little context about 1 John that we just read. And by the way, 1 John was written by John the Beloved, who was uh, in the upper room for the communion. It said it, he leaned up against the bosom of Jesus. So this is that John that is writing this. And he's writing to the church, which many believe he's writing to the church in Ephesus because he was really connected with them. And in this passage, some context is there are a group of people uh, in the church who began to teach a different gospel. A group of people in the church began to teach a different gospel. And they began to have a different attitude towards sin. And they began to have a different attitude towards co community and fellowship. And what it says in the scriptures, it says that they have a, appeared to have gone out from the community and into the world. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 1. Gone out from the community and into the world. In essence, what is happening here is that there's a group of people who have left the church because they want what the world has to offer with a side of Christianity. They want what the world has to offer with a side of Christianity. They want what the world has to offer with a side of Jesus. And if you know me in any way, this is sort of like me and my love-hate relationship with vegetables. My wife, her lovely self, she will, she, will, she will be at the house for dinner time and she'll cook up like steak and rice and gravy and there'll be like corn and mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and she'll have a little pot of green beans going on the side and boy, I'll go in there and get the rice. Okay. Oh, help me, Lord. I'll get the rice and the steak and you pour the gravy on it and you got your corn and your macaroni and cheese. You can't let it all touch. Right? Whoever lets all their food just mix together, something's wrong with you, okay? You got it all separate on the side. And then on the very, very side, I'll get like two green beans. Not two scoops of green beans, like two actual green beans, just the little things, you know? And it's all for the sake of just saying, hey, I had my vegetables today. It's like, I just want to, I want the main thing. I want all of this other stuff, but I just want a side of green beans. And this is what John is writing to the church for. He said, there are people in the church who have left the church because they want what the world has to offer with the side of Jesus. They want what the world has to offer with a side of Christianity. 
They're not really trying to live life as apprentices of Jesus. Ben Sixsmith, who is a journalist, and he's not a believer, but I thought the title of the article was phenomenal. He says, this is the title, The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastors. And I thought it was profound what he, what he wrote. I want to read some of it to you this morning. He says, there is mainstream culture, celebrities, fashion, music, potish political activism, and a message of self-love, but with a twist of Christianity. Most people stick with mainstream culture because they can have all those things and premarital sex. We can see the with a twist of Christianity trend elsewhere. He references Jerry Falwell, who's representative of the right-wing business-oriented evangelicals, who offers capitalistic self-enrichment and hubristic jingoism. Anybody know what jingoism, by the way, is? No, me neither. Okay. I had to look it up on how to pronounce it, so that's just me. He says, they offer all of that, right-wing, business-oriented, evangelicals, capitalistic, self-enriching with a twist of Christianity. He said, then there are progressive Christians who promote usually the left-wing causes with a twist of Christianity. He says, while different in beliefs, such people share patterns of thought. The former believe secular individualists mysteriously share God's wishes for what they should do with their money. And the secular progressives mysteriously share God's wishes for what should be done with its bodies. He goes on to say, so if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, why become a Christian? And the last part of his quote right here, I have it up on the screen for you. I just thought it was profound. He says, this is how he ends it. I am not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. A twist of Christianity. A side of Jesus. And John would say, do not love the world or the things of the world. Now there's three things that John highlights in here about what it means to love the world. If you remember them, it's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Real quick, we're going to hit on those real quick. So the word desire is more translated like lust or craving. Think of an intense craving that you have. I think of my daughter Maddie. She's sitting here. I think of my daughter Maddie. The other day, she, she came in the living room and she's like, Dad, I need some hot chips, some Takis. And she comes in with a little glass jar full of pennies and wants to walk all the way to the dollar store to go get some Takis, some hot chips, right? And a, a, a craving that she had for these hot chips. And that's what they're talking about when they say desire. It's, it's more than just desire. It's like a lust or a craving for something. So real quick, we're going to walk through these. He said the desire of the flesh. This is some definitions. The desires of the flesh is when our cravings are for sexual desires, food, drink, 
instant gratification, control, comfort, domination of others, and on down the list. A good thing that you can see in our culture now is that we're, in, we're in what they call the hookup culture. To where you can download these apps, these dating apps like Tinder and Bumblebee and all this other stuff. And all you have to do is just swipe left or swipe right. And at the swipe of your finger, you can have sexual partners. Not all of them are for that, but at the swipe of a finger, you can have however many partners you want to have. The hookup culture. The desires of the flesh. He goes on to say the desires of the eyes. The desires of the eyes are delighted with treasures. We just read that passage earlier. Riches and rich possessions are craved by an extravagant eye. What he's saying here is that we think if we just make enough money, then my life is going to be all right. If I just get the right car, if I just get the right job, if I just do what I find these things to do, the, that will, my life will be better. If I get the right job, gosh. And what happens is all of these things end up becoming idols for us. The last one is the pride of life. A definition for that is we crave grandeur. We want a glorious life, ambition, and we thirst after honor and applause, and we're flattered with admiration and praise. We care so much what people think about us and how they look at us, how they talk about us, and how they view us. The pride of life. A couple of examples of this is uh, I read an article the other day that we are in what you call a filter culture. That's so much on Facebook and Instagram that you, you can just throw all these filters up on there and you look totally different. You just look totally different and all the blemishes that you have are gone away. And all the things that are, you think that are wrong with you are then gone away. And it's deception. The pride of life. We see in our culture now the cancel culture. That if someone messes up, if someone does wrong, if someone says something different than what we feel and believe, we cancel them out. Can I tell you, Jesus doesn't cancel people out. Jesus is not asking any of us to put a filter on. Rather, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me and cast all your cares and concerns upon me because I care for you. Does that sound like a filter? That sounds like authentic. That sounds like vulnerability. It's, it's just, it's, it's an opposition of what God would have. And these three ways of the world, the values, the systems, the practices, date back all through human history. You can look at the temptations of Jesus. The Satan tells him that if you are the son of God, then turn this stone into bread. The desires of the flesh. If you are the son of God, bow down and worship and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. The desires of the eyes. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down off the building and the angels will protect you so you don't even stub your foot on the ground. And in doing that at the temple, everybody will see who you are and be like, wow. The pride of life. 
Let's go back even further. We can go back to the garden. Adam and Eve and the fruit on the tree. It says that they seen that it was good for food. The desires of the flesh. That it was pleasing to the eye. The desires of the eyes. And that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. The pride of life. This is how the world operates. From the beginning, it has wanted us to choose the world over God. From the beginning. And this is where those lies come in. The enemies of the soul, this is where those lies come in. Because sexual desire in and of itself is not a bad thing. I believe that's totally from God, how he's created us to be. Food, is food a bad thing? No. Amen, right? Drink. Drink is not a bad thing. Money. Money can be good. Fame. Even fame. Gosh, fame can be good. But where the lie comes in is when the world tells us that those things are all that we need to have a good life. If you just make this money, then you'll have the good life. If you just buy this brand new Tesla... You know, you know how I feel about Tesla. If you just buy this brand new Tesla, then you'll have it right. If you just get this job, then you'll have it right. And that's the lies of the world. The lie that the world always, the lie is that the world always promises what it can never deliver on. It always promises what it can never deliver on. That's, that's the struggle with pornography in our culture. That in somehow by watching that, participating in that, it's going to fulfill something in you and then you'll be satisfied. And it never does. It always promises and never delivers. And John would say, do not love the world or the things of the world. The love me not. But with every love me not comes a love me. Love me, love me not. And that's our second point for today, the love me. Some of the practices of the church when it comes to the world is to separate themselves from the world. To disassociate. And even to the extent that there is what they call a doctrine of separation. A doctrine of separation is that members of the church would separate from the world and not have any association with those of the world. And I think when, this, when the church takes this stance, we no longer become the church. If we think we've got to hold up in somewhere, in our house or in the church building, we, we stop becoming a church. When we look at the scriptures, we see that God loved the world so much that he sent his son. God loves the world. God loves the people of the world. God loves his creation. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see this balance in his life of being in the world and not of the world. He would be around people and then he would go up to the mountain and then he would come back down the mountain. And he would be around people in the world again. He ate food and drank wine with people who were far from God. He went to parties. He went to homes with people who didn't have, other people didn't want anything to do with. 
The idea that we are to separate from the world is not what we see from the life of Jesus. And we too are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We too are called to eat and drink with people far from God. We too are, can go to parties. Can I give you that permission? If there's a neighborhood party, go to it and call me. I'm going to come with you, okay? Like we too are to have people in our homes. We too are to love our neighbors. We too are to enjoy food and drink and art and music and coffee and wine and Broadway shows and cheesecake. Amen to cheesecake. Like there's a balance, there's a tension of being in the world but not of the world. That we would love the world, God's creation. That we would love the world, God's people. And that we would love the world in terms of his good gifts that God has given us. Food, drink, neighborhood parties, all that good stuff. So there's a real love me, love me not tension when it comes to the world. And now more than ever, it's probably difficult to try to juggle and balance that tension. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he is in the world, but not of the world. And can I tell you that if you follow Jesus, if you said yes to him, uh, this is no longer your home. Like your residence, your name written in the book of life, you are a part of the kingdom of God. So there's this real tension of being in the world. Loving the people, enjoying God's good gift, going for a hike and enjoying the creation that God has made. Being in the world, but then not of it. The values, the practices, the social norms, not being people who want what the world has to offer with the side of Jesus. And that's what John says is do not love the world. So as we close, some practicals. We can have the worship team come up. And honestly, this some of you be like, man, Wayne, you, this is heavy today. What's the deal, you know? Some practicals for you. One is to do a, a self-examination. The writers in the New Testament say it all the time. Hey, examine yourself. Have you gotten to the point to where, man, you're wanting what the world has to offer with the side of Jesus? Can I be honest with you? I always have to examine myself. I always have to say, Lord, what is my motivations? What are my intentions? Why am I caring so much about what this person thinks or what this person says? Why do I want this Tesla so bad? <laughs> it's the environment. It's the environment. Electric. Battery. <laughs> I always have to examine myself. Can I tell you when I was first getting in the ministry, it was like this, uh, it was like this cool kind of thing to do with young ministers coming up, right? 
you're like church planning together and you're going to school together and you kind of dream together. Man, God, what are you going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? All this kind of stuff, right? And I would have all kind of guys I'd be hanging out with and they're like, man, Wayne, you're going to be like in front of thousands preaching. And you're going to be like, you know, and it was like all this sort of dreamy kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know. And I had to examine myself. Lord, what if it's not a thousand? What if it's just, and I really felt like the Lord said this. What if it's just 10, 20? You keep showing up? You're going to keep talking about my goodness and my love for people? What if it's not thousands? And I had a real heart check of like, wow, it's easy to get caught up into that. I had to examine myself. So maybe for you this morning, it is that. Maybe you just examine yourself and you're like, gosh. Maybe you're not full on a side of Jesus, but like half the plate's Jesus, maybe. You get what I'm saying? It's a big side of Jesus, you know? So maybe you're not a full on, but still to examine yourself and say, man, I do. I do care what the world thinks. I do think about having all these nice things. Because then my life will be bettered. That's one, examine yourself. The second one is spiritual disciplines. We have it on the screen, the seven spiritual disciplines of Jesus. Fasting, scripture, solitude and silence, Sabbath, community, right? We talked about that. Simplicity, living within your means, and prayer. The reason why I wanted to throw these spiritual disciplines up there is because spiritual disciplines equals spiritual warfare. And this is how Jesus was able to be in the world and not of the world. This is how he was able to hang out and eat with sinners and people far from God, but then go up on the mountain and pray. He was able to hang out with the prostitutes and the lepers and the people that nobody else wanted to do with. And then he would go and have solitude and silence because spiritual disciplines is spiritual warfare. And can I tell you, we have an enemy of our soul, which is the world and the values and systems and practices of the world. If you don't think you're in spiritual warfare right now, you are deceived you have an enemy to your faith and to your soul and so the seven practices of Jesus and write these down take a picture it'll last longer right you remember you ever heard that take a picture last longer take a picture start to implement some of these into your life as we are apprentices of Jesus, we do the things that Jesus did. We adopt the lifestyle of Jesus and you lost me. Sorry, not your mama. We adopt the lifestyle of Jesus and we do the things that Jesus did so that we can be in the world and not of the world like he was. So examine yourself, put into your life the spiritual practices. Would you stand with me? We're going to have some ministry time.
So if you're new here, that's sort of the expectation of what we do is we create space to respond to what God's doing. So what we'll do is we'll just wait. We'll sit in silence for a little bit. We'll pray. And we'll, we'll respond. Sound good? Okay. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. take this time to respond to what you've spoken to us this morning. Lord, if there's some um, hesitation within us, Lord, would you soften us? Soften us, Lord. Would you maybe highlight to us this morning maybe something that you want to say to us? Give us your loving correction if we have wanted what the world has to offer, but with a side of Jesus. Would you just give us your loving correction? In your loving voice, would you call us back to you? verse 12 says this for he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence he redeems their life 
really stuck out to me this morning with that is this awareness, this vulnerability of the needy. And so for some of you, I thought this morning, man, you're really in a place where you're like, God, I need you. There's this situation in my life, a job, family, a friendship, and Lord, I need you. And what I love it so much is he says this. He delivers the needy when they call. He delivers the poor who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. See, so much of our culture is to have it all together. Not to ask for help. Not to be needy. But if being needy means God shows up in my life and hears my call and hears my cry, then Lord, I need you. So if that's for some of you this morning that you find yourself in that place, would you raise your hand? We'd love to be able to pray for you. We have one over here, one right here. One there, one here. Could we gather around our brothers and sisters who've raised their hand? Real quick, show them up, throw them up. Yep, there you go. Okay, can we gather around them, move towards them? We're going to pray for one another. And just some insider tips and advice. Introduce yourself. Ask them their name. How can I pray for you? Okay. Ask them, hey, can I lay hands on you? All that good stuff. The other one was, the second thing was, is that something from this morning about caring more about what the world has to say with the side of Jesus really struck you. And if that's you, would you raise your hand? Because we'd love to be able to pray for you as well. Anybody else? Okay. So while we sing this final song, let's create space to be the church, pray for one another, love on one another, okay? We'll sing this final song.
stacking a couple chairs for us that would be great have a good week everyone